everybody, and welcome to a very special episode of the Pony Express, because it is the very first episode of Fortress of Ineptitude, the new Pony Express series that will feature myself, who, of course, being editor-in-chief of the post writer Mike Levito, and post writer contributor Lewis Ryan. Hey, everyone. I kind of overshot the self for the pitch there, but basically, uh, this is, like I said, Fortress of Ineptitude, the new series where we'll be watching uh, some bad superhero movies, I think is the best way to put it. We talk a lot about superhero movies that have just come out. Some of them are good, some of them are bad, but we're going to be looking at those that are not generally considered to be good. And I believe Lewis' idea is to, to maybe do it like kind of, we're going to try and stay away from movies that came out in like the last 10 years, right? Yeah, um, this basically started just from, you know, us growing up, children of the mid-90s. It's like there have been so many uh, comic book-based, you know, superhero movies that have come out, like, we don't even realize, because, like, some of them come out and they're just, like, completely forgotten, like, within a year, within a couple years, and, like, obviously we're in, like, a post-MCU era, and some might even say, like, we're kind of in, like, a new era in, like, a post-Endgame era, so it's, like, we're several generations removed in terms of, like, comic book movies and, like, you know... Both of us grew up watching a lot of comic book movies, the summer blockbuster movies that have come out, and it's like, there are just so many. If you look look online at like lists and stuff, there are just so many. Mike and I put together a list of like so many movies, and um, Mike called them bad movies. I like to think they're just more forgotten movies, and we're going to kind of, you know, just sort of look at them and then just, um, you know, give our, give our thoughts on them. Because, you know, these movies are still out there. They still exist, so, you know, why not talk about them, see you know, how they fare, you know, with uh, current day sensibilities and whatnot. I'm excited to talk about them. Yeah, I think for, Forgotten's a good way to put it because it really does feel like the MCU has shifted our perspective on superhero movies, comic book movies, and it almost feels like everything that happened before the MCU, and I suppose in some ways before The Dark Knight just, like, didn't happen, at least the way people talk, because this is also partly inspired, I think, between, like, a Twitter exchange we had where there were some people, and I got annoyed because... I saw somebody call Doctor Strange in the Multiverse of Madness like the worst MCU movie made, or like the worst Marvel movie made. And I was just like, how could you like possibly believe that's the case? I think I said like when Ant-Man and the Wasp exist or something like that. Because <laughs> at that point, that was my least favorite. Or maybe it was Iron Man 2, it was something like that. And then you were like, well, I mean, like there were a bunch of stuff that came out before the MCU that was way worse than that. It's like, yeah, you're right. Yeah, I, I was just posting like a whole bunch of like, because uh, you said like Ant-Man <laughs> was like the worst Marvel movie ever and I was just like in what universe because I just like posted a whole bunch of posters for like other stuff mm-hmm. that have come out like a lot and like there was one one tweet I was especially proud of when like all four of the posters that I could post on Twitter were like the Hulk movies yeah. <laughs> <laughs> and it's just like uh, you know like so much of this stuff has gotten memory hold. And, uh, you know, to, like, a certain, you know, people that have, you know, been born, like, 10, 15 years after us, like, they have no idea. Like, to them, the worst, you know, movie they might have seen might be Ant-Man and the Wasp, which, you know, kind of annoys me. Just because, you know, let, let's talk a little bit about our background. So, like, me, you know, I'm a student of both comic books and film. Obviously, the 90s was, like, the last great decade to be able to watch, like, you know, Bart Simpson on TV reading comic books and be like, wow, he's cool because he reads comic books. So that was, like, the thing that was, uh, you know, we were taught to understand that reading comic books was cool back then. And uh, I've sort of carried that with me to now. And, like, being a nerd is, like, very, like, mainstream now, but it's, like, in a very, like, superficial way. 
so I don't know how many people are actually like reading comic books now. So that's like some of the comic book expertise I have. And like my other level of expertise in regards to this is like I'm a student of film. Like I watch a lot of movies. Like so I've seen a lot of really good movies and also like a lot of really bad movies. So I'm definitely someone who would never ever say that Ant-Man and the Wasp was the worst movie I've ever seen. There are a lot of bad movies. I've even I've even had a job where I watched some really bad movies. So yeah, that's just sort of a my level of expertise in regards to that. Yeah, and, and as far as me, um, and I don't know that I have quite the depth of knowledge of comic books or film that you have, but I do still have a depth of knowledge of it. You know, I, I grew up, you know, like, like most, I think, American children, was just kind of introduced to superheroes at a young age. I watched all, like, the, the 90s Spider-Man and X-Men reruns that was on, I think, Fox uh, when I was a kid. I was kind of the perfect mark because I would watch those. Then I got into reading comics myself. Then that basically primed me for sort of like the boom in superhero movies that came out. And I, in a lot of ways, like superhero movies was kind of my introduction to like non-animated movies, I think. Like the first PG-13 movie I saw in theaters was the first Sam Raimi Spider-Man in 2002. And that helped spark a deep interest in me, not only in superheroes, but also in film. I've also seen lots of good and lots of bad movies. Again, ones that are much worse than Ant-Man and the Wasp. Um, and ones that are much better than Avengers Endgame, say. Yeah, I think we're both, like, pr- pretty qualified to talk about this stuff. Obviously, it sounds like you're you're more of a Marvel guy than yes. a DC guy. Yes. Which uh, I don't think is really all that relevant, because they're both basically the same same sort of company. But um, Right. Uh, Mike, Mike knows a lot about stuff, so we're both you know have a lot of definitely a lot of stuff to talk about in regards to you know both movies and comic books and superheroes and stuff so i think we're both sort of passionate to talk about this and i hope that this you know becomes like a a recurring feature on the post rider that whether it's mike and i or uh many of the other post rider contributors i definitely think you know uh because superheroes are definitely you know in vogue right now movies are a thing that's always going to be in vogue i hope so I hope this becomes a recurring feature that we can just do because there are definitely a lot, a lot of entries, um, of movies that Mike and I came up with on our master list, and there are probably more that we missed. So um, we can definitely do this for a long, long time. But every journey has to start with a single step, and I'm very excited because I won the coin toss, so I got to pick what the uh, first feature that we did for our premiere episode was, and I. Couldn't think of a better movie to start with than uh, Superman Returns from 2006. So, uh, Mike, I know I picked this movie, but I'll, I'll ask you first since I'm kind of the uh, the ringleader this week. Why do you think Superman Returns is a great episode for us to do on our first episode of this uh, series? Well, I do think it is very much forgotten. It's definitely not a movie that comes up a lot when people are discussing superhero movies even though it came out only two years before The Dark Knight. It's, and it's forgotten for a number of reasons. I think one is because I, I think you would agree it, it's not that good. We can kind of unpack later why that is. The people involved making it too, at least two of them have fallen into ill repute. <laughs> uh, the director, of course, Brian Singer, also directed the X-Men films or many of the X-Men films and Bohemian Rhapsody, has been accused of uh, lots of sexual misconduct. And Kevin Spacey, who plays Lex Luthor, has been convicted of sexual misconduct in the United Kingdom. So, uh, a little bit of a time capsule on the people who are, like, allowed to be involved with this movie. And it's interesting because, and we again, we can unpack this later. I might be jumping the gun a little bit. But what I appreciated about rewatching this movie 
is that it is clearly representative of an era where studios seem to have less control over the characters than they do now, right? In my mind, when a Marvel, when an MCU movie is bad, it's bad because it is too much like other MCU movies and it feels like it's just kind of like taken out of the cookie cutter, right? I think this movie is bad because Brian Singer had a vision and he just does a very poor job of executing on it. And I feel like there are not enough superhero movies, good or bad, that are like that nowadays. Yeah, I think this is a, definitely an interesting little duck. And I use interesting and sort of like, it's kind of like objectively interesting, but it's not like subjectively interesting, uh, given what we're here to, t the movie we're here to talk about today. But um, uh, yeah, I definitely do think it's like the epitome of like a forgotten superhero movie. And obviously, you know, Superman is like the superhero in a way so like why not talk about uh the forgotten superhero movie superman returns uh mike did you see this movie back in 2006 i sure did saw it in theaters were you excited at all do you remember anything yeah i was excited i remember i was definitely at that point i was just really kind of gobbling up any information i could get about any superhero movies um that's when i really just first started getting into comic books I also read, I mean, there was just, and I'm sure there's still a lot of this today, but like definitely at that point, there were lots of like basically reference books about comic books that were published. And I read a lot of those too. And like, I would check very frequently, like the Wikipedia page for like the list of movies based on Marvel Comics characters and list of movies based on DC Comics characters and read about sort of like the things that were in production. So I was excited for this. I had actually never seen and still have not seen any of the Christopher Reeve Superman movies. So... I didn't have a lot of context going into it, but yeah, I, I was I was pretty stoked. Yeah, no, I was I was excited for this too. This was you know post Batman Begins when it felt like um, you know superhero movies were back because both both Superman and Batman, both of their you know original four film series, they kind of had fallen off, and like Batman Begins like got people excited. You know, I thought Batman Begins was good, but I wasn't like that high. You know, coming off of it, I thought it was good. But, uh, you know, I'm not a Batman guy. I'm a Superman guy. So when it's, like, Superman Returns, like, when it came out, I was, like, super excited. I actually, like, printed out, like, the poster on, like, an 8x11 piece of paper and, like, taped it to my wall and made, like, a little Superman shrine because it's, like, oh, boy, Superman's back. And it's, um, I, I don't know how you felt, but, like, Superman Returns felt like a similar title structure to, like, Batman Begins. So it yeah. felt like, you know, a new era. So mm -hmm. it's, like, oh, boy, you know, Superman. Um, so yeah, I was definitely excited for this movie. I had definitely seen both of the Brian Singer X-Men movies. Mm -hmm. I don't know if I knew that um, he was involved, if you know what I mean. I, I don't know yeah. if I was that mature enough in my film knowledge to know that he was like the director of the, the X-Men movies mm -hmm. and whatnot. I, he definitely did have a vision for this, going back to what you said before. And I don't know if, like you said, if it was translated all that well. But uh, yeah, this is definitely a, a movie I was excited to see. However, upon seeing it, I definitely <laughs> was not a super big fan of it. I, I want to say my reaction to it was like mostly the same as like Batman Begins, but like with one exception about like a certain aspect that I just like hated in the theater, which we can talk about later. But yeah, it's definitely an interesting... And also another interesting thing is um, going more into the background of this movie is that... Um, this, this is an interesting movie to talk about first because I think it's sort of like the beginning of the end of like that superhero era mm -hmm. that like started with Blade and X-Men and like ended with like, you know, the Dark Knight Iron Man. Yeah. Because Brian Singer left 
the X-Men series to mm-hmm. do this movie, which means Brett Ratner was chosen to do X-Men The Last Stand, which sort of began like that last two years where we got like X-Men The Last Stand and Spider-Man 3. And it seemed like, you know, like, you know, Fantastic Four, Rise of the Silver Surfer. You know what I mean? It felt like the things were like winding down, but then like Iron Man and The Dark Knight both coming out that summer it felt like everything like reinvigorated so it is like an interesting movie in like that historical sense to like talk about um maybe more interesting to talk about than the actual movie but uh, something else that i noticed while i was doing research for this is um this was a uh, top 10 box office grocer hmm. in the year 2006 it was a uh, number nine in the top 10 if you go to wikipedia and look at the top 10 highest grossing movies of 2006 it, it's number nine Every single one of those other movies got a sequel. Like, number one is Pirates of the Caribbean, Dead Man's Chest. Mm-hmm. Number 10 is Happy Feet, which also got a sequel. Superman Returns was the only film, uh, one of those top 10 highest grossing movies that did not get a sequel, which is very interesting, despite yeah. the fact that it made a lot of money at the box office. Not like a huge amount, but it made, you know, like a lot. Like, it made compared, the ninth most. <laughs> yeah, well, I mean, it's right between Mission Impossible 3, mm-hmm. which, you know, the seventh installment is coming out very soon, followed by an eight. So it's definitely still a franchise that's still around. <laughs> da Vinci Code also got a sequel. Yeah. It's, I'm just like, every single one of those movies got a sequel. It's like one of those top ten. Mm-hmm. And um, then I, I quickly looked at 2005 in film. And uh, do you know where Batman Begins is? 2005. I bet is like number ten. It's number nine. Oh, wow. And it made less money back than Superman Returns. <laughs> now, the, the caveat with that is that Batman Begins had a much lower budget mm-hmm. than Superman Returns. So, obviously, there was a higher return on investment for Warner Brothers. But I just I just think it's very interesting that... um, I mean, not interesting in the sense like that I, I can't believe they didn't make a sequel. But it's like... It, it was it did much better at the box office than I would have thought, and it is like a little kind of surprising that Warner Brothers just like didn't didn't try to make a sequel to this. Yeah, and there wouldn't be another live action Superman movie until 2013, right? With Man of Steel. Yeah, with Man of Steel. Yeah, so I, I just thought that would be interesting to give some background information in this because I I thought it was fascinating. Yeah, so let's let's talk about. Um, the character. So I think this is a, a thing that we'll do in the podcast is we'll talk about like the character that the movie is trying to adapt. So Mike, I'll ask you first, how do you feel about the character of Superman? So at this point in 2006, I would not have been quite as interested in Superman. I was definitely full into my like Marvel obsession. Um, how do you feel about Superman? I, f- I have mixed feelings. Like, there's a very common, I feel like it's almost like a meme of people being like, you can't, like, convincingly portray Superman in live action because he's just, like, too perfect. I've never really felt that way. I think it can be done well. I love All-Star Superman. I think that's one of, like, the best comic books I've ever read and probably the best Superman comic book I've ever read. I I think it's very interesting. You know, I think Metropolis is, like, a very vivid setting. And I, I, you know, I, I find him kind of... Uh, you know, really compelling as this this very sort of like New Deal idea of essentially like an immigrant, right, who is giving back and using his powers to sort of like enrich the people around him um, or protect them, really not really enrich them. Um, so yeah, I, 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 I'm not certainly not a Superman expert, 
Um, and I have not really dug deep outside of All-Star Superman or like Superman Red Sun. I haven't dug like super deep into the comic books, but I'm, I'm generally a fan. Yeah, no, well, I, I'm a big Superman fan. Mm-hmm. I've been since I was very young. I would say that the thing that got me into Superman even before the comics was Superman, the animated series. Mm-hmm. Um, and then subsequently in, you know, the Justice League, Justice League Unlimited. You know, everything, I, I love everything about Superman. It's hard to, you know, put into words. He's just one of those things that, um, such a perfect creation, you know, for a child to get invested in and whatnot. And um, he's just, you know, a timeless character, timeless symbol um, of, uh, you know, what's good and what's right, truth, justice, all that stuff. Yeah, and uh, I I definitely had seen um, Superman the movie before this. I'm not sure if I had seen Superman 4, The Quest for Peace, before this, <laughs> which is a movie we'll probably talk about another day. Yes. But yeah, I, I don't buy that Superman can't be portrayed convincingly in live action. And I, I do buck against the trend of people that think Superman is boring. Right. You know, that's he's too powerful. When people like try to explain why Superman is boring, then it's like, well, that's kind of how I feel about batman right right yeah. sometimes because it's like you know batman always has to be portrayed kind of powerfully otherwise he would you know get shot mm-hmm. or right, fall yeah. off a building yeah <laughs> first at the first opportunity for whatever it's like similar to the marvel vs dc thing it's like you always have to like pick a side like you can either be a superman fan or a batman fan mm-hmm. it's like you can't just like enjoy both of them even though like both of the money goes to the same parent corporation but uh, I was definitely excited to see this movie, and I it, it, it's frustrating when like you're a fan of this and everyone thinks like you can't do Superman in live action, or it's like I'm not interested in seeing Superman, and it's like you know just give it a chance, and then a movie like Superman Returns comes out, or <laughs> Man of Steel comes out, or Batman vs Superman: Dawn of Justice comes out, and it's like proves them right, but it's like ugh, it's just it's just a reminder that it's like movies are like not a democracy, like we can't vote on what the next Superman movie is going to be, what the next Batman movie is going to be. You just have to have faith that they get the right people to like, that the $300 million you spend is going to the right people to do whatever the right thing. Yeah. I, I was also very into the Justice League, Justice League Unlimited cartoon. So that was actually something that did like Ginny up my interest in this. But I was also very much a Batman person as well as of a Superman person. But like you said, like it, the rivalry, it's just kind of like, it's a question of preference. And of course, some people are going to like one more than the other. But there is, I feel like, a little bit of a silly kind of like anti-Superman bias in with certain people that I've never fully understood. Yeah, and I feel like when we were growing up, I think because of the Superman in, in the cartoon, I feel like Superman was cool. And then I feel like somewhere like around the time this movie came out, like people started to like be like anti-Superman. Mm-hmm. And I feel like it kind of flared up in the last like 15 years and it's been very frustrating. And you know, it's if you know people I've heard people say, you know, it's like if you say Superman's your favorite superhero, that's like saying Citizen Kane's your favorite movie and it's like, you know, but Citizen Kane is good. Right. Yeah. <laughs> and I know he was the first, but I mean, he he's still great. He's still around. Um there are interesting things that you can do with him, you know, 80 plus years on. Um, and that's part of why I like Superman is that, so like we, you were talking about the way Metropolis is portrayed. And one of the things I love about Superman, since he has origins in like the late thirties is that like, there is like an element of like timelessness slash like art deco design. Like you can be like very old fashioned with Superman and you can kind of like play up like 
it's like with Captain America. You can like play up like World War Two as mm-hmm. like an element or like an aesthetic design or whatnot. And Superman, you know, he's been around from the '30s up till now. So every every decade of Superman, you get like a its own unique thing. Like he's just an endlessly like he's like a plastic. You know, you can like transform Superman and like kind of do whatever you want with him. Mm-hmm. And I feel like a lot of people don't think that Superman is a very they like have this very like solid idea when he's actually like much more like plastic and pliable than you might initially give him credit for. So I think if you go in like with too much of a rock solid idea of like what you want Superman to be, like you might walk away disappointed when um it doesn't exactly conform to like your ideas. But um that that's the unfortunate thing with Superman and other stuff like these superheroes is that you're exposed to them at like kind of a young age and it's like kind of gets fixed in your head. So when it doesn't quite satiate like the nostalgia brain cells in your head, it kind of like you reject it out of hand instead of thinking like, oh, you know, this is a fresh and interesting take. Yeah, I feel like if they can make Captain America, who was a character who was written like directly in response to World War II <laughs> and like make him relevant in 2022, I feel like you can make Superman relevant in 2022. Definitely. I mean, you see that with uh, Superman's uh, best pal slash uh, rival Batman. Mm-hmm. The way he's just been portrayed in Batman 2022 is that that is like a very like hip, modern, cool with a K movie. <laughs> you know, it's a very almost cyberpunky mm-hmm. kind of take on Batman, definitely in the way it portrays Gotham. Yeah. So um, you can definitely do a lot of modern stuff with Superman as well. But, you know, I, I do miss there's like a certain element of timelessness that I feel like is also important to like the character and the way he's portrayed and definitely that's employed a lot in this movie mm-hmm. that uh that i guess we can talk about now so n- needless to say i think we're both we both like the character of superman we don't we didn't walk in being like oh boy uh, i'm gonna get ready to hate this right yeah so mike you you had not seen this movie since the theater i i had maybe seen like 20 30 minutes of it on tv but i not sat down and watched it from uh beginning to end since 2006 yeah yeah i think i've only seen it like one other time since the theater so this was definitely like basically like i hadn't seen it since 2006 in a way um did you like remember a lot of this movie i remembered like vaguely the lex luther's whole crystal plot you know I, i remembered that there is like a giant crystal that comes out of the ocean floor at one point i remembered the whole thing of superman's son spoiler alert and that was kind of that's like most of what I remembered. I did not remember Frank Langello played Perry White. Um, I didn't, and I remembered like James Mars. I remember James Marsden was in it. Um, I did not remember Eva Marie Saint played Ma Kent. I didn't even know who that was at that point. But yeah, that's that's the most of what I remembered. And I, like what struck me was that, and the thing I definitely did not pick up on when I saw it when I when I first saw it when I was a kid was the sort of 30s and 40s aesthetic it tries to employ like the production design is very of that era yeah i think that might be the stuff i kind of enjoy the most Mm -hmm. is that like the the production design sort of like you know that element of timelessness because like that's why i was a a fan of you know i think uh of the superman the animated series and batman the animated series because both of those they were very much like we're going to synthesize everything about these characters histories and like you know everything into like one you know sort of mainstream cartoon where it's not like it's not like a throwback but it's like a very conscious like we're gonna boil it down to the most essential elements 
And uh, I think that this movie sort of does that a bit in the way it's Metropolis is designed, but it's definitely very consciously like this is like the 30s. Mm-hmm. It's much. It's similar to the way uh, Gotham City is portrayed in Tim Burton's Batman. Yeah. Where that movie is kind of actually like a period piece. Right. <laughs> set yeah. in the 40s. But this movie is, is kind of like it's modern, but also a throwback mm-hmm. in the way the Daily Planet is portrayed. Yeah. And I like that. Did you like uh, Frank Langella as uh, Perry White? I did. I feel like I always think of Frank Langella as being kind of like regal and like very serious. And I liked how he was a little bit of like... Um, I liked his... He was kind of like a jerk in this a little bit. Like, I know, I kind of liked his somewhat dismissive attitude. It felt like I was watching him cut loose a little bit. And, and it was good that he wasn't like a J. Jonah Jameson clone as well. It, it, he <laughs> he brought some of the regalness to his role as Skeletor right, in uh, yeah. Masters of the Universe. And also, isn't he kind of like another person who's been canceled <laughs> recently? Oh, I don't remember that. <laughs> um, but yeah, I, th- I like the way the Daily Planet is portrayed. I feel like... When people talk about Superman, I feel like that's a very, like, underrated element is, like, his supporting cast in, like, The Daily Planet. Because, like, people usually think of just, like, Lois. But it's, like, you've got Jimmy Olsen and Perry White. And it's, like, it's set in a a newspaper where you can get into, like, sort of, like, the front page-esque shenanigans at a newspaper. So I feel like that's a sorely missing element from, like, modern-day Superman. Especially in, like, Man of Steel when they... When they basically, like, just destroy the idea of, like, Clark Kent as, like, an alter ego. Yeah. Which is a, which is a fun and interesting element of uh, Superman. It, it adds some comedy, you know, some relatability to the character when you have him being, like, a regular working day, you know, journalist. Well, I feel, and I feel like that's something that's absent from a lot of modern superhero movies, too, right? I feel like the MCU, it's like, you know, Iron Man is publicly... Iron Man, you know, everyone knows that he's actually Tony Stark. I mean, Captain America is basically just like an FBI agent. Um, Thor's a god of thunder, whereas like in Superman Returns and in the Raimi Spider-Man movies, um, you have guys who like were trying to balance like, you know, an everyday life with their superhero life. And that leads to, I think, much more interesting situations and scenarios than just having been like, you know, basically like Elon Musk, but a superhero does. Yeah. Basically, like, superhero, uh, secret identities are, like, a thing of the past now. Yeah. And, like, the only one that, like, gets away with it now is Spider-Man. Mm-hmm. Which is annoying. Um, not least of which, because Spider-Man, if you think about it, is kind of a deconstruction of Superman. Because <laughs> he also works in a newspaper office and has a secret identity. He wears a red and blue costume. Mm-hmm. Stanley was like, what if Superman had money problems? <laughs> and was a bug. <laughs> <laughs> I think the thing is interesting about this movie is that it's not really a reboot in like the way batman begins is instead they made the decision to make this movie a not only a sequel it's not it's a sequel to the christopher reeve movies but what they do is they they don't like directly ask you but they're just like hey ignore superman's three and four and then watch this movie instead now is that something that you knew before you rewatched this just now mike or I so I I knew it was like a sequel to the I guess those are the Richard Donner movies. When I first saw it, I think I knew that, but like I didn't again, I I still have actually never seen those movies, so I didn't really fully grasp it. So does does Superman 2 end with him like going to try and find Krypton? No. Oh. 
it it's very weird you know like it, like imagine if that happened now like if endgame came out and it's like hey just ignore iron man 3 mm-hmm. or ignore iron man 2 which i feel like they did <laughs> there are some who would argue that that's what rise of skywalker did but <laughs> yeah it's it's just very weird and it just uh it goes to what you know we were saying before at the beginning it's like movies are permanent Movies are not written in pencil. They're written in ink. You can't, like, undo a whole movie. Right, yeah. They try to with, like... You, the, the only franchises that, like, can get away with it are, like, horror movies. Mm-hmm. Like, Halloween, Friday the 13th, like, Nightmare on Elm Street. They're the only ones. Because the audience is, like... They, they're not really there for, like, the lore. Right. In the way, like, superhero movie audiences are. Where they're there for, like, the details and the celebrity cameos and the fan casting uh, nowadays. So it's it's very interesting and it's like it's it's weird because like the movie doesn't like tell you ignore Superman's 3 and 4 you're just supposed to like 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 I said like you asked just now like does Superman 2 end with him leaving for Krypton? No. <laughs> this movie just kind of throws you This movie is is kind of similar to the Force Awakens from 2015 because there's like a lot of backstory mm-hmm. to the movie that you kind of have to be you know either kind of be told through exposition or like kind of infer on your own but like there's a lot more like uh force awakens you know they have the star wars title crawl at the Mm -hmm. beginning and there's like lots of exposition where they talk about but whereas if you're someone who hasn't seen superman the movie or superman 2 a lot of that context is missing and also this movie it kind of is a slavish tribute to the christopher reeve movies but also it feels different (laughs) so it's just it's just like a whole whole mess of mess of stuff right right off the bat. Well, it's also I'd imagine the idea is that he's been gone for like five years, and those 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 Christopher Reeve movies came out in the seventies, but he comes back to an earth that has cell phones and laptop computers. Hey, and fax machines. Yes, yes, yo, very important fax machines. Yeah, it's probably the last. A big mainstream movie to feature a, a fax machine in the pivotal role. It, it, Probably one of the only ones. Yeah, I, I was gonna of. say. Which is weird for a movie in 2006. Yeah. Um, but yeah, it's just weird. The movie just starts off with a title card, like explaining everything, which is feels like kinda underdone. It just is like, mm-hmm. bloop. Yeah. And it's like okay. It, it it's not quite somehow Palpatine returned, but it's also not that much better. And it just it takes a while. Did, did did this movie uh did you ever like click into the movie mike or were you just like so i i did have to split my viewing up between two different sittings just based just because my own schedule and it took a long time to get going and i remember so the idea is that he has superman has gone off to krypton to um or he's trying to find krypton it's actually never really fully explained basically astronomers think they have found krypton he goes to find it it's not there and so he returns to earth in some kind of a spaceship and crashes once again on the kent farm in smallville and i remember when that was happening me just being like do they really have to like do this like do i have to like sit through this as far as clicking in like you know i felt like there was a bit of a momentum pickup at the sort of very contrived first action scene with the space shuttle and there were like moments like i think that seems like pretty it's like fine pretty good and like I think the whole like bank robbery scene is pretty good, but outside of that, it's pretty it's pretty slow. And it I think there are almost too many ideas 
going on. Too many things happening. And everything that Lex Luthor was doing kind of bored me. Yeah, I, I was surprised. Because um, like I said, I had like, seen the movie back in 2006. Well, we both did. And it's like I was surprised. It's like I wasn't like getting into the movie mm-hmm. until like an hour in. Which, uh, you know, is definitely a problem. Mm-hmm. Yeah, so like uh, I wanted to ask this, Mike. Um, just as like a fun question before I, I leap into a lecture about it. Um, <laughs> who's who's the main character of this movie? It's Lois Lane. This well, this this is Superman's girlfriend, Lois Lane. The movie. Is, I, is my I, feeling. I was gonna say you're like right in the sense that it like it should be Lois Lane, mm-hmm. but it's like not. I would say this movie has like no main character, mm-hmm. and that's part of the problem with like the beginning hour of this movie. Because Lois is really the one that has, like, the arc. Where it's, like, Superman left. She moved on with her life and is convinced, like, the world doesn't need Superman. Mm-hmm. And then, like, through the course of events, she realizes that the world does need Superman by the end. So it's, like, she is the one who has, like, an arc. Superman is, unfortunately, not the main character of this movie. He's, like, a supporting player. Lex Luthor is obviously not the protagonist. <laughs> because he's evil. <laughs> so... I definitely think you're right. It it needed to be more focused that like Lo- Lois Lane is the main character. And I do think that's kind of a problem with like the beginning 15 minutes of the movie. Mm. I don't think you see Lois. Yeah. Or even Superman. It opens well I'm and I'm just remembering now as I said it opened with, you know, the whole oh he went off to Krypton then he crash lands again. I believe actually the first like non-credits like non-titled sequence is Lex Luthor forcing his uh dying wife that he met while he was in prison through correspondence forcing her to sign over her fortune to him she she was shown pleasures she had never known (laughs) yeah evidently very confusing sequence of events and also like i don't think that's like legal like i don't think he's a lawyer that can like make her sign a will like that um but i mean it's lex luther he's evil Uh, it's it's funny yeah and that's the thing is like i i I wrote about this in my like letter like i I logged this on letterboxd and i was like i remember watching a featurette on tv like before this came out like some promo thing where brian singer is like oh this movie's basically a love story and it's very clear that like he is most interested in lois lane and most interested in the relationship between lois lane and superman but he still feels obliged to include lex Luthor's kind of convoluted plot and like other superman-y stuff that he just doesn't seem like he wants to have in there and that leads to like a very kind of disjointed and like poorly paced and plotted movie there's a whole bunch of stuff to talk about but i guess we're, <laughs> we're going to talk about luther now my memory of lex luther as portrayed by kevin spacey in the movie is that he was terrifying when i saw this back in 2006 Rewatching it now as like an adult it's it's not as terrifying you know, ignoring the fact that you know kevin spacey is kevin spacey right. in real yeah. life but because like there was the trailer where he's like you know, he says wrong, mm-hmm. which like was like a almost like a pre-meme meme. Yeah. The internet was around, but it was like, you know, before it had really taken off. I don't know. It's like, uh, do you remember in The Dark Knight, like the part where the Joker has the camera, mm-hmm. you know, and it's like, uh, what does he say? He's like yelling. And it's like very much like everyone in the audience like stops moving. Yeah, yeah. That's like kind of like the feeling that you get at certain points with Kevin Spacey as Lex Luthor, but rewatching it now, Lex Luthor is very goofy in this movie. And there's a lot of like goofy fun stuff. Like the thing with the old lady 
the you know the the train model sequence right yes um, did, did you notice by the way that like when the train the, the train models crashing there are like screams yes it's very <laughs> it's very hard to miss they, the last the last one is like a tie fighter scream yeah. from like star wars it's very strange but uh, this is what i wanted to say um so there's like a lot of goofy fun campiness in like the script mm-hmm. and i attribute that a lot to the screenwriter michael doherty who uh, did Trick or Treat, mm. which is a very fun movie. Um, he also did Krampus, which I unfortunately have not seen. But I know he did um, Godzilla, King of the Monsters, <laughs> a movie Mike and I have definitely both seen. Yes. I, were you a fan of King of the Monsters, Mike? No, actually not at all. Yeah, no, I, I was definitely not a fan of that that movie at all. And that was, uh, I think that film was very much more like what you were talking about at the beginning, where it felt like a corporation was like, make a movie you know and michael darty's like all right and i don't know if there was that much of a vision behind it but uh, yeah a lot of the goofiness i attribute to him just based on trick or treat because the other guy uh dan h dan hiss dan Haas, he hasn't like done a lot after this i think the next thing dan he did was harris like is dan harris did like a direct-to-video thing after this and he had just generally hasn't done a lot and the humor like the stuff with uh the old lady at the beginning, Mike. It mm-hmm. reminded me of like sort of like Adam's family yes. level humor. So I was like thinking about the direction of this movie compared to like the direction of like X Men number one, you know, the movie. Mm-hmm. Brian Singer had definitely has a very uh, a vision of like a grounded, realistic. He was infamously derided, but for taking the X Men out of like their color for costumes and putting them in their their black leather getup like out of the matrix Mm -hmm. and i think that sort of realism continues in like the direction of this movie but like the the script is like more like i think the script is begging for more like uh uh barry sonnenfeld of like the adams family movies and the men in black movies and the kind of like begging for like a kind of bo welch level production design out Mm -hmm. of like tim burton you don't want to go too far with bo welch where you get like cat in the hat (laughs) but I do think there's like a clash of of styles from like the script to the way Brian Singer is shooting things where like the goofy stuff is like not funny so much as it is like kind of weird mm-hmm. and off-putting. Yeah. <laughs> where like that, it, I'm imagining like Barry Sonnenfeld like doing the thing where like Lex Luthor like gets the lady to sign the contract mm-hmm. with like the lightning storm going on mm-hmm. and it's like much funnier. Right, right. It, here it's just kind of like uh a bit weird. <laughs> yeah. It, like, oh god especially because it's like our first it's like the first scene and it's like the introduction to lex luther yeah it, it's a weird you, you're right and it's funny because if you actually watch the first x-men movie there it's a little like campier than i think a lot of people remember um but you know those are that and x2 are both like ultra modern in their production design right like you said very matrix-esque they make a joke about like yellow latex and not wearing it and stuff and they try to explore a kind of like, you know, mutants are very much used in, used as like a placeholder for like the LGBT community and, and the way they talked about that. But yeah, the the, the tones, tone was very strange because the Superman and Lois plots are very sort of, I don't know if dour is quite the right, right word, but but they're serious, right? And it's they're very like soul searching. It's about love and abandonment and all this stuff. And then Lex Luthor and his crew are just used as comic relief and not always effectively. And like, yeah, like the... They return at some point to to the uh, woman's mansion, and she had two like pomeranians. And there's one pomeranian who's now like eating 
a uh, some kind of meat and Kitty Kowalski, Lex's sidekick slash lover, I guess, I don't know, played by Parker Posey, is like, weren't didn't there used to be two of those? And it's like, I guess it's supposed to be like, obviously the idea is that, you know, one cannibalized the other, but it's just like, yeah, it came off as more like off-putting than... Yeah, it's a, it's a unexpected thing to put in a, a Superman movie. Right. But, it, like, this is what I'm saying where it feels like very much like something from, like, the Addams Family. Mm-hmm. Like, that sort of macabre humor. Yeah. But I, I'm not sure if Brian Singer is, like, the right person no. for that material or if he it would just, like, went over his head to do that. Because, like, this film, it's like Brian Singer has said in interviews that he's he was a fan of Superman and not of the X-Men when he mm-hmm. did that. And I think it might be a case of, like, he's too close to the material to, like, you know, look at it objectively. And it's, like, too much of a tribute to the Richard Donner, Richard Lester, Superman 1, Superman 2 movies to, you know. But it's, like, it, it's like trying to do that, but it's also, like, doing its own thing. It feels like its own thing. Like, you haven't seen them, but this feels different. <laughs> I believe you. <laughs> like, um, Lex, Lex is goofy in superman the movie and superman 2 mm-hmm. but this is like much more i don't want to say it's like more goofier but it is like goofy but it's yeah, i don't know it just feels like uh yeah it's just <laughs> weird and bizarre and it's hard to put into words where it's just like it's hard to imagine like this happening nowadays where it was like i don't know if someone wanted to do like an iron man movie it's like if i'm gonna a lot of people don't like iron man 3 mm-hmm. so much it'd be like if someone was like i'm gonna do my own iron man movie where it's like you ignore iron man 3 and it's like a tribute to that but it's also like i don't if you cast tom cruise as robert downey jr <laughs> which a lot of people wanted apparently but it's like it would be different you know it would mm-hmm. feel different yeah I, again i can't really like I've, i haven't seen those movies so i can't really comment but it is a um it, and it's, it's i feel like it's a brand of humor that doesn't really exist anymore maybe because in this movie it's like very ineffective but it's also just like like i feel like the jokes you get now in superhero movies are a little more baked in and they're you know they're, they're more kind of like winking and and modern i feel like this is sort of like very broad like there was a kind of joke that was like people wanted to put in like a blockbuster back then and this was that yeah well like the new the new meme that i see on the internet for like marvel level humor is like when it's like someone's talking about someone is like in an insulting way and then he's like oh he's behind me isn't he yeah yeah or or like the so that just happened yeah <laughs> and it's definitely it, i'm just like it's a dog you know cannibalizing another dog is not something that you would imagine being a superhero movie and it wouldn't you wouldn't imagine it in superman one or superman two mm-hmm. or superman three or superman <laughs> <laughs> Superman 3 has a lot of problems with comedy, too, but mm-hmm. I, I don't think it would have helped if Richard Pryor ate a dog. Right, <laughs> probably not. <laughs> um, and the other thing I wanted to say, because, like, this movie is a tribute to Superman, the movie in a way, like, that style. Mm-hmm. So, like, Superman the movie, it is, like, an hour before he becomes Superman. But the thing is, is that movie is, like, distilling super everything about we knew about Superman from 1938 to 1978 into, like, a two-and-a-half-hour two myth. So it's like, it's a really, like, it's the epitome of, like, this is an origin story superhero movie, right? Where you establish everything. So it kind of has, like, a, I don't want to say a slow pace, but, like, the necessary pace to, like, build up to everything. To show the character's journey. 
in this film it kind of like has a similar structure where it's like the first hour is like doing that but it's like it doesn't have like the origin story mm-hmm. and it kind of lacks the focus of like a main character and i guess at this point we should talk about like the casting so what do, what do you think of the cast like brandon routh kate bosworth kevin spacey oh man so kevin spacey i think he's probably miscast as lex luther i just don't know that he is like villainous enough or villainous in the right way that i like envision lex luther as being i think he does kind of you know he plays a little campy and a little goofy um but again i think that's a lot of writing problems too kate bosworth i think is fine i don't have a very strong opinion about her either way i think she does what she's asked to do Brandon Routh, I think, is very boring. I think he <laughs> offers very little. I don't... He cannot do this sort of, like, gee whiz Boy Scout act that he's asked to do as both Clark and Superman, but, like, with varying kind of... Different variations of that for either, you know, identity. But, like, I just don't think he... Ha- he's just not charismatic enough to carry a movie this big. And he, he looks like Jason Schwartzman when he has glasses on. <laughs> and like i like jason schwartzman well enough but jason schwartzman's not superman um i feel a little bit differently about brandon routh um i think he really like nails playing clark kent i don't think he's like that good at portraying superman but i don't know if whether that's like the script's fault or the direction's fault but i'll you know i don't want to pick on brandon routh because um uh you know i just don't want to pick on him <laughs> that's, um, that's fair he he what brian singer was like deliberately like the only thing person i think can play superman is like i need to get an unknown right actor undiscovered actor so he cast brandon routh the older i get the more like i appreciate clark kent as like a separate character like i miss that he's like a mild man mannered you know bumbling reporter Mm -hmm. and like i read like older superman comics and i like uh like my favorite like new genre i found is where they portray clark kent as like a separate person from superman (laughs) like there's one uh, I don't remember if it was a, a Jimmy Olsen comic or a Superman comic where Jimmy Olsen gets conked on the head mm-hmm. and he imagines if Superman was elected president. <laughs> and the funny thing was that Superman's vice president was Clark Kent, <laughs> <laughs> which is just like, oh, that's so funny. Yeah. It's like, I miss the idea of like them being like separate mm-hmm. individuals. Um, so yeah, and I, I do, I, I think he like nails Clark Kent in the sense that Clark Kent is like different than Superman. Mm-hmm. In this i wish his superman was like a little more interesting to watch yeah but like i don't know if we're given like too much time with his superman to begin with don't you think more actors would be interested in like playing superman because it isn't like the ultimate acting challenge when it's like you're playing clark kent with the glasses and then it's like you take the glasses off and then you're superman i feel like there's like a moment in this movie when like that happens when i was like oh that's good that's that's acting right there because he like changes and, like, I could, like, buy it that he, like, changed his, like, expression. That definitely happens a lot in the um, Christopher Reeve movies. Yeah, you would think so. I don't, I feel like it's it's been viewed as, like, a... Well, I mean, it was literally viewed as a cursed role for a little bit, right? Um, you know, you had a suicide of George Reeves, who, who committed suicide. He played him in, in the 40s, I believe. You had Christopher Reeve in his accident. Um, you have Brennan Routh in his career. <laughs> you know, I... I yeah, I would think so, but I also think that there is such a... I think the flip side of that is that people have, like, a platonic idea of what Superman should look like in their mind. So I really do feel like directors look for somebody who looks like Superman before they look for someone who can portray Superman. You know, if you know what I mean, it's like... Yeah. The... the And, like, you know, the Robert Downey Jr. looks kind of like Tony Stark of the comics. Chris Evans looks kind of like Steve Rogers of the comics. But mm. Steve Rogers and Chris... Uh, Steve Rogers and 
uh, Tony Stark were not as iconic figures before, you know, like 2010 or whatever, as they are now, right? Like, yeah, I think it's also just the that Superman doesn't wear a mask yes. or a cowl. Yes. So that's like it's a much more difficult thing when it's like mm-hmm. when when you're casting for spider-man you're not really casting spider-man you're casting for peter parker right right but when you cast superman you need someone who can convincingly do both superman and clark kent assuming you're you're even having a clark kent alter ego um unlike some of the more recent superman movies mm-hmm. but yeah so it's definitely an interesting challenge that i think more actors would be up with kate bosworth i don't have necessarily have a problem i think she's like very young yeah, she was infamously only 22 mm-hmm. when this movie was made, which means she met Superman when she was like 18. Right. Yeah, which is like they're both like really young. I think part of the confusion with this movie is that not that they're like bad, but it's just like your brain like sees them as like young people. Right. So like if you cast older people, it might be easier to like understand, you know? Mm-hmm. Um, because it's it's because like. And it's also, it's like Christopher Reeve and Margot Kidder as Clark and Lois, they look look older mm-hmm. than Brandon Routh and Kate Bosworth do. So it's like, if you're watching Superman 1, Superman 2, and then this, it's just like, what? Yeah. And I also feel like, I don't know if you agree with this, but it's like my, when I think of Lois Lane, I think of like the Bruce Tim Lois Lane, which is a very different looking Lois Lane than the Kate Bosworth Lois Lane, right? Um, I, I, I get that. I feel like there are a couple of lines that reminded me of like the way that Dana Delaney might say it on Superman, the animated series, but like the look, uh, I mean, I, I guess it's, it's different. You just sort of have to like separate these things mm-hmm. in your mind. It's not like Lois is like, uh, I don't know. I mean, I guess she always has like black hair mm-hmm. and whatnot, but it's never like there's one definitive like Lois Lane look to right. me. And, you know, sometimes she doesn't even have black hair like Amy Adams. True, true. A lot of this stuff, like you're saying, is, like, it's uh, it's from, like, the, the Richard Donner movies. Mm-hmm. Like, the way Lois is portrayed, Clark's portrayed, and, like, Lex Luthor's portrayed. We're, you know, we grew up in the early 2000s when it was, like, when we were watching the cartoon, like, Lois Lane was very much, like, a Nellie Bly adventurous. Like, she had one-liners and stuff. Uh, she had kind of like this wry, sarcastic delivery on Superman the Animated Series. In Superman Returns, she's very much like the Margot Kidder version where she's just like nervous. She has like um, the the runner about like how many Fs in catastrophic right. or whatnot, which I, I don't really like. In yeah, the, my as a professional, lane. she's a professional writer. She should probably know that. <laughs> but it's like I need to, if you're a screenwriter, it's like I need to establish that she's like a journalist but also like quirky right <laughs> uh it's just it's just one of those things I, I don't particularly like it but it's there um lex Luthor in superman the movie he is like a very it's funny like because i like i just watched superman the movie like for the first time in a really long time and i always had an idea of like oh lex in that movie is very goofy but mm-hmm. he's actually like much more menacing in that movie which is like the inverse of what i thought about kevin spacey he is very menacing but he's also like a goofy trickster who lives in a sewer lair (laughs) and he tries to blow up california for Mm -hmm. real estate which is similar to how he's portrayed here in superman returns we're used to him growing up as sort of like the ceo of a big company yeah and you know he runs for president Mm -hmm. you know and one of the most ludicrous plot turns in history (laughs) that someone so evil and rich someone so obviously (laughs) evil could be elected president it's like get real dc that would never ever happen 
but it, it is just one of those things where it's continuing that vibe so it's like was it was it inherently flawed to do such a belated sequel quote-unquote to superman 2 in 2006 i guess the verdict is yes <laughs> i i think so because i i guess it does lead a little bit to the question it's like who is this movie for right like who is that kind of tribute sequel whatever you want to call it to superman the movie for um it certainly wasn't for me at the time because i never seen those movies um my mother has like on multiple times talked about how she doesn't like the christopher reeve movies i i just feel like those movies don't have as large a cultural footprint as maybe brian singer hoped they did yeah or like um tim burton's batman i think just looking at batman begins it's like that kind of was the blueprint of how they should have went about it of like do something new like you can like reference the tim burton batman you know if you want like you know have a line homaging a line from that but it's it very much like went in its own direction there's nothing in batman begins that's like inherently contradictory with like the 89 batman Mm -hmm. you know what i mean so i like i could you could watch it and be like oh you know that's a prequel but it's like you don't need to connect it to any other movie or whatnot superman returns like so a lot of it is just like if you don't know the older movies then a lot of choices that they make here might just be like confusing i think part of the reason that the older movies they have the impression of like falling out of favor is that they just like waited so long mm-hmm. after the failure of uh superman 4 the quest for peace they were they tried so many times there was the jj abrams script there's this documentary called superman lives about you know the the kevin smith written project backed by uh insane movie producer john peters mm-hmm. where they were going to get tim burton to direct the superman movie with uh, nicholas cage as superman and him fighting brainiac and brainiac would be like a giant mechanical spider in the end and infamously it got scrapped and the mechanical spider was recycled and put in wild, wild the west. will smith movie wild wild west it, you know it was just one of these things it was like always in development and like no one was really sure what to do and we ended up getting Superman Returns, which I don't know. You know, I mean, it was moderately successful. But like you said, I don't know, like, who is this movie for? It didn't really, like, connect with audiences. It's not, like, the worst movie ever made. But it is just, like, the epitome of, like, forgettable. And, like, we're just going to do another Superman in a couple years. I would say that is the crux of it. But, like, like I mentioned at the beginning, like, it is mostly a forgettable movie to me. Like the thing that really stuck out to me was the character of um, Jason. The character of Jason. That is very strange as well. Um, I mean, it's funny, right? Because, you know, as as much adult attention as superhero movies get, like I feel like at their core, they're really meant for children. And having like a subplot not a subplot, just like a big part of the plot being a like a disputed fatherhood of a, of a child, I feel like is kind of like a complicated thing to insert into the middle of a movie like this. You know, Jason himself, I feel like is not like a particularly interesting character. He doesn't really do a whole lot outside of, you know, throw a piano at that one guy. Another and, example of the goofy humor. Yes. But it's not portrayed as like humorous or goofy. Well, and that's the thing too, because that... that scene is like preceded by the infamous fax machine scene where lois is stuck on lois on on lex luthor's yacht and is trying to fax her coordinates to the the daily planet 
And, like, that's, like, a really violent scene before he gets crushed by the piano. Where he's, like, smacking around Lois Lane. He picks up a crystal and is going to, like, cave her head in. And all of a sudden, her son throws a piano on a guy. And this is the other thing, too. Is that, like, I remember the big thing when Man of Steel came out being, like, all these buildings are destroyed. Superman kills all these people. Blah, 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 blah. He, like, both Jason and Superman kill people in this movie, too. <laughs> right? And granted, they're, like, bad guys. But it's, like, Jason crushes the guy with a piano. And then when Superman, like picks up the island there's like a piece of the island that falls on cal pen and the rest of lex luther's goons anyway but yeah the character it is a i don't really know i guess they're trying to draw some parallel between superman's relationship with jor-el his father and then superman's relationship with jason but the thing is is that like they have like one scene of superman looking at jor-el's recording at the fortress of solitude and then they never really revisit that um, yeah you don't really get an idea of like what superman's motivating factor is in this movie mm -hmm. he just comes back to earth and is like i'm back yes and like you know they do at the end of the movies like the father is to the son is the son is or the something like that the father becomes the son the son becomes the father something like mm -hmm. that and it's like okay <laughs> <laughs> which is That's another part of like there's like i remember when this came out two people talking about there being like very heavy-handed like christ imagery in parts of this where you know he's stabbed in the side with kryptonite there's this sort of like heaven heavens opening up as he recharges yeah. with the yellow sun i read it there was an interesting uh on the wikipedia page one of the art uh, reviews and like the reception talked about how like the movie is like the the passion mm -hmm. like there's like a lot of elements of that like you know there's crucifixion the death like the tomb stuff like that things that you know went over my head because you know i wasn't raised in a christian household mm -hmm. i don't know anything about like the passion or um that guy peter what's his name um simon peter <laughs> no <laughs> i'm talking about jesus oh. <laughs> but yeah and, and you know i i buck against the trend of like portraying superman in a, in a christ-like fashion because like to me he's always more obviously he has like jewish inspired roots and whatnot so i've always leaned to he's a more jewishly flavored character but you know whatever i don't know is it just me because i wasn't raised in christian house did, did this stuff like were you seeing it mike did, did, did the passion stuff like come across to you when i first saw it not so much and then it was kind of explained to me and rewatching it like yeah getting stabbed in the side for sure i mean just like the way when he flies up to the sun the way those clouds part i mean it's just that's just like classic christian imagery and then him falling to earth kind of you know, in like a crucifix pose. And the thing that really stands out to me is the, you know, he's like on his deathbed. They think he's dead. And then they come back and he's been resurrected, right? The tomb yeah. is empty. So that's, yes. that's, what, that's what he was saying was like the tomb. They come back mm -hmm. and he's gone. Yeah. Yeah. And that's another thing is that this is a very, um, well, I wanted to say my thoughts about uh, the character of Jason. When I saw this movie, I like hated <laughs> the character of Jason just because it's so, uh, I like I don't even know what I was feeling at the time, but like, like I just hated the idea because like they they show it very clearly that he has like superpowers I guess because he throws a piano right, mm -hmm. and I guess you're just supposed to assume that that's just like a weird thing that happened right, mm -hmm. like they kind of beat you over the head that he's like Superman's son, but they also like don't right, it's like this very weird back and forth, and it's like I don't know I just didn't like the idea of Superman having a son at the time, so I like hated this character i guess like part of it is that it's just like he wasn't there 
Mm-hmm. You know, he's like Superman's the deadbeat dad is like what a lot of people say in this movie. Because <laughs> like in Superman 2, mm-hmm. oh, I guess you don't know this. Um, not that it makes the movie any better, but like in Superman 2, so Superman and Lois, uh, you know, become romantically involved and they uh, consummate the relationship. Mm-hmm. And then the movie ends with uh, the status quo being restored when um, uh, they're in the Daily Planet and Superman, or Clark Kent, Superman, like kisses Lois. Mm-hmm. And somehow that kiss gives Lois amnesia <laughs> of the entire thing happening. Okay. And the status quo is restored at the end of the movie. And then. Then imagine after that movie, Superman leaves for five years and Lois is pregnant. So it just adds a whole uncomfortable layer mm-hmm. to this uh, already uncomfortable situation uh, where uh, they make Superman look like a jerk. I mean, having become an adult now, like I'm more, much more okay with the idea of Superman having a kid. He has a kid now in the current comics and it, he's, you know, moderately well-received. Um, people like seeing Superman as a loving, caring father the way the movie does it i guess is just like completely wrong going back to what you were saying about like how this film ends with like superman in the hospital mm-hmm. i was like surprised rewatching that that that's like like the last 20 minutes of the movie because like this isn't a very action heavy movie no like at all there's only really like it feels like only one thing happens in this movie i don't know how you felt about that but it's just like when i see a movie it, it, it's good when it's like there are four or five exciting scenes to talk <laughs> right, about with your friends yeah. it feels like only one thing happens in this movie yeah i mean i think i generally agree um and and, and it is and that one thing does take a long time to play out the whole island i mean like i said you do have the scenes where he's you know saving the plane that's been attached to the the, the space shuttle and then you have him like busting the robbery and then saving kitty and her like fake but not fake like runaway car situation but yeah i agree and it's a very like i remember i remember pausing at some point because i had to go to the bathroom everyone being like oh my god i can't believe there's like 20 minutes left in this movie and like i the idea of them like trying to you know give him some kind of ejection and it bends the uh it bends the needle and then also like trying to uh use the defibrillator and it kind of blows up the defibrillator like that's interesting but it is i just feel like it's not a conventional superhero movie no it's not and, like, in the midst of all of that happening, there was eventually a cut back to Lex and Kitty on, like, a, a like, deserted island that's thrown in there very awkwardly, just so you know what happens to them at the end. And, yeah, it's just, it's a very just odd decision. and It's odd and funny, which is exactly the way Lex has been portrayed <laughs> yeah. in this movie. Mm-hmm. Yeah, it's just not a lot of action. The way they portray Superman annoyed me, because, like, the only only stuff superman does in this movie it's like this what the um star wars episode 8 the last jedi was kind of making fun of is that all the jedis do is move rocks right all superman does in this movie is just fly and like lift things yes <laughs> that's it mm-hmm. there's like one scene where he has uh heat heat vision mm-hmm. but like that's it like like it's just could you imagine like delivering a script where you write like oh you know lex has created a kryptonite island Mm-hmm. Superman has been defeated. How how will Superman fix the situation? What if he just lifts the Kryptonite <laughs> Island? It's just like, what? Yeah. Like, uh, let's compare this to like Shang Chi. Mm-hmm. Like you know, there's a whole like fight scene. You know, there's like an army invading, and then there's like a fight scene with like the character who is his father. This movie, it's just like he just lifts the island. Mm-hmm. That's it. Yes. Yeah. It is so frustrating. 
Yeah, it's. I almost feel like in like a more conventional superhero movie, that would be like, like the island being created and him being wounded would be kind of like. It feels like the hospital thing should happen before he figures out what to do with the island. You know what I mean? Um, yeah, he's at his lowest point, right? And then, uh, he he begins to work against the problem. That's you know basic screenwriting structure. Yeah. But I agree with you. And the thing is too that like. I don't know if you had this same experience, but the scene where he saves Lois Lane's family in, like, the one half of Lex Luthor's yacht that gets split, like, the initial scene of him lifting it up is so unimpressive looking because the entire boat does not fit in the frame. So it just looks like a guy sitting in a pool, like, trying to lift the side of the pool. Like, there's no, like, sense of scale or, like, movement. Um, and I was just like, what? Like, did they just, like, go to, like, the Y and just, like, put him in there? Um, very strange. But, yeah, like, not a lot of not, no. not a lot of action. Well, and there's, like, a lot of... It's more peril than action. Like, the scene right. where Lois and uh, Richard and Jason... I remember that from seeing it in the theater when they get like trapped in like the room and like the ship's sinking and it's like the water's coming up. I remember that being like terrifying because it really goes on for like a long time mm -hmm. and it is very like scary and anxious. So I would say that's probably like the best part of the movie to me because it's very well done, but it is just like there's not really a whole lot of action. Yeah. It's just more scary peril. Mm -hmm. And again, it's just solved by Superman showing up and lifting <laughs> the thing. Yeah, oh, he, yeah, he lifts it. He lifts and then he it, goes to and the then island. He, well, and then he gets them into the seaplane. The seaplane, and then he helps the seaplane take off by like lifting the seaplane. And that's the other thing too is that like there are two instances of them starting to leave the island. Oh no, we have to go back, and then they do that like once more. It is. It is kind of just like a what do you do when you're the writer? Yeah. Um, you'd probably have to like introduce some new story element because mm -hmm. like as it is it's like they cut back to the island and it's like two of lex luther's goons are just like playing cards yes yeah. on the island and it feels like what where what, where's the rest of the plan <laughs> yeah it's like it's like and i like how like it's like okay so this like giant piece of the island came up like pretty you know like took like a couple of minutes like when's like the bigger part gonna happen i guess he has the more crystals but like what's he waiting for right yeah and is like where the water is the island still growing right is the water yeah. displacement happening in metropolis mm -hmm. uh, i i don't i don't know they also never explain why the crystal causes an emp clearly you don't have a master's degree in crystallography mike well, this is I true mean, no i guess they don't all right <laughs> <laughs> let's ask michael doherty <laughs> yeah so the the film is not a whole lot of action very feels very slow the characters aren't all that interesting when they're talking with each other. Maybe a sequel could have been more interesting. Brian Singer has like acknowledged a lot of the flaws of the movie. Mm -hmm. And he says, like, oh, I recognize them now. I'd have tried to put more action into the movie. He said like all of this after seeing Man of Steel. When uh, I don't know if that movie got like a more positive reception. But like there were a lot of elements that I think people would have liked more in this movie. Yeah. Um. But, like, to me, this is a movie that it's, like, I wish it were better. Because, like, there is, like, some stuff I like. I don't know. It just doesn't succeed at what it's trying to do. Yeah. And it's, like, yes, I agree. I do wish it was better. Um, I mean, obviously, I wish it was better because it's not that good. But, like, yeah, I... And it's... The other thing, too, is that it's, like, 
it, it focuses so heavy on the romance subplot. And I almost wonder if that is what killed that. That's what has killed like all subsequent romance subplots in superhero movies. Cause there just aren't that many anymore. Like obviously a huge part of this movie and it's a gigantic part of the Sam Raimi Spider-Man movies, but it's like the MCU. It's like pretty non-existent. Yeah. Well, romance in general is just like a no-go for a lot of movies like star wars like the mm -hmm. sequel trilogy like barely had it until uh rise of skywalker when it's like oh let's get ren and kylo together yeah ren and, and kylo and then and they kiss and, and kylo immediately disappears yeah <laughs> um it's just like a it, it's just been a trend in movies where a lot of people i guess it comes from movies people like complaining about movies like speed the keanu reeves movie mm -hmm. um commented on this where it's like at the end him and sandra bullock like you know a lot of relationships that start in high stress situations they don't last mm -hmm. but um people just got tired of like the man and the woman and they're mm -hmm. just together in the movie they have to be in a relationship but it is like it is like i'm watching a movie here i would like to feel some emotion right yeah <laughs> some high stakes drama I, it's not really if it's like a real life hostage situation <laughs> <laughs> There doesn't need to be a romance there, but, you know, I'm watching a movie. It'd be nice to, you know, feel some emotion. I mean, it's like Empire Strikes Back. Is there anyone who's like, yeah, I really wish they would get rid of that Han and Leia romance mm -hmm. so I can enjoy the movie more. People really just want their movies to be like a weird, sterile environment where it's just like jokes. There's bloodless violence, mm -hmm. sexless romance, humorless comedy. Just a whole bunch of <laughs> yeah. weird stuff that goes on in like modern blockbuster movies yeah and, and not to belabor the point too but i also like they want it to be an entry in a larger universe right and superman returns for all its flaws it is a movie right it is a completed thought sometimes an incomprehensible thought but it is a completed thought it is you know meant to be kind of an epic whereas you look at so many of the mcu movies and to some extent like the the dceu whatever you want to call them movies like they feel like they are just very long episodes of one tv show yeah that that is interesting and it might be kind of a detriment to this movie because like it basically introduces no new elements like going mm -hmm. from superman one to superman two to this there are no new elements it's basically just here are the characters again mm -hmm. and like lex is the villain again yeah you'd be like i don't know <laughs> <laughs> but i mean it's like they mentioned gotham right. at one point and i was like could you imagine that it's like i don't know it's like that would have been enough for people in 2006 mm -hmm. like nowadays it would just be like where why doesn't batman show up right why doesn't superman call green arrow mm -hmm. they they do mention there's at one point i think frank langella as perry white says something like oh you, can you get me the story on like the birthday clown massacre or something <laughs> and then also the brutus the thug who gets killed by jason has like a, a scary clown tattooed on the back of his head so i wonder if those are supposed to be like joker references but i don't know um yeah it's a very it's a very quaint movie mm -hmm. like it's good that it you know pretty much begins and ends with itself yeah but it it is inherently flawed yes. like a like a diamond this is more like coal <laughs> that's inherently <laughs> flawed there was not enough pressure exerted to turn this into a diamond no a lot, um, a lot of geology talk regarding yeah. this movie <laughs> and um it's just unfortunate because like i was saying it's like kind of like the beginning of the end it, like this movie like you can kind of like 
even though it's like a forgotten movie you can like pinpoint the blame for a lot of stuff that happened on this movie like brian singer leaving brett ratner doing x-men 3 mm-hmm. um and like we were talking about like the rise of superman and like dc in general like they had a pretty like good decade before this movie like with the rise of like comic books you know um batman begins like the justice league tv show stuff like that was going on and then this movie happened and then it it kind of feels like dc like stumbled and like they had the dark knight but it was really pretty much just like let's just focus on batman yeah and like they just pretty much stuck to batman for like a while they had like man of steel but as we all know that they try to like cobble together like a cinematic universe out of man of steel which might have been an inherently flawed decision um in an attempt to play catch up and it's just like now warner brothers is in like incredibly dire yes <laughs> straits and people don't seem to realize like how big of a, a deal this is that it's like one of the five big media companies is in these they just look at it and be like yeah marvel go marvel <laughs> it's really like oh this is this is really bad when it's like 90 percent of the media is owned by like five companies and one of them is like in dire dire straits mm-hmm. is it all superman returns his fault <laughs> we'll let you decide yeah <laughs> let us know you can email us you can tweet at us yeah and um let us know if there are any movies you'd like to see covered on this uh series fortress of ineptitude mike came up with the title so um yes the the other working title was earth's meekest heroes but i feel like this one flows a little bit better <laughs> to me when you say inept it means like the camera lens was broken right yeah there, there was no audio during this part of the movie yeah. all, all the audio is there and you can definitely see what's happening mm-hmm. in this movie there is one scene inside the seaplane that's very bizarrely edited. There's just, like, lots of cuts when, like, Superman is first, like, standing back up and you can't really tell who you're supposed to focus on. But other than that, yeah, it's comp- competently made in, in, in a, from a technical perspective. The, uh, the screaming in the train model right, is a funny yeah. editing choice. <laughs> that's true. Yeah, it's definitely a quirky, interesting movie. And um, definitely, I think, perfect for the first episode of this series. So, yeah, definitely contact us at uh, contact at thepostwriter.com. You can find me on Twitter at the Lewis Ryan. And I've contributed some articles to the Postwriter, a couple of which were about Superman. So mm-hmm. definitely check those out. Yeah, you can find me on Twitter at Elmovito on Letterboxd at Ameramike. I am, of course, the editor-in-chief of the Postwriter. So if you send emails to contact, I'm usually one of the first people to read them um i've also written a lot of stuff there you google my name i've, I've written a lot of stuff a lot of places but uh yeah <laughs> wow that is takes some big uh big ego right there <laughs> when it's like google me you'll find stuff i've written for brooklyn magazine the writing i'm not gonna read all my credits that'd be gauche bylines no, do it credits. mike promote yourself what's, anyway. what's something you've written recently so i i, I contribute a lot to the writing which is sort of a uh a right-wing media watchdog it reports on right-wing media it is not itself right-wing media very confusing to some people who first visit the site i've written a lot of articles there you can check those out that's where most of my recent reporting has been most of my recent criticism analysis has been on the post rider we have a lot of local coverage of course um i am also on the politics express podcast other episodes of the Plain express podcast you can find it all there just go there and, and you'll and you'll see it on the put and the uh, excuse me on the post yeah. and um mike and i have been hosting um another podcast on the post rider called the visitors might be listening uh, recently we've been covering the apple tv plus show for all mankind there are episodes available now and they will be coming out more and more regularly mm-hmm. as a uh, time creeps along um in its unending pace 
yeah, so definitely check those out. If you haven't seen For All Mankind, definitely check it out on Apple TV+. And we hope you keep subscribing to the Pony Express podcast as well. Thanks for listening. Bye, everyone. Enjoying this podcast and wondering where you can find more intelligent and insightful content just like it? Just head over to thepostwriter.com, where you can find the latest opinion and analysis on politics, music, film, television, and a litany of other topics. In addition to our articles and podcasts, you can also check out our visual features, like our Floor Fight Bracket, our 2024 Republican nomination draft, and in presidential election and midterm election years, a map with all of our analysis. And if you like what you read, you can subscribe to our newsletter and, if you're feeling generous, donate to the site so we can keep churning out the content you know and love. If you love the site so much that you want to write for it, drop us a line at contact at thepostwriter.com. We're always looking for new contributors and willing to read any pitch you may have. That's the great thing about The Postwriter. It's not just about us. It's also about you. So head over to thepostwriter.com and see if there's anything that piques your interest. We bet there is.